0: true that those who feed us the word of God are worthy of double honor, the Bible tells us, so it's appropriate to honor Pastor Rossetti today. And I want to tell you something that's important to me as someone who works under the supervision of Pastor Rossetti as our senior pastor, that he is the same man behind the scenes as he is in front of you. And I tell you, that's, that's something, that is something in today's world The gracious man you see in front of you, the loving man you see in front of you, it's the same man who goes home at the end of the day. So I really appreciate that, Pastor John. And and this is also Denise's honor, too, as well. You're a wonderful couple who have done great things. So I feel like I have to, uh, not to steal any thunder, but you saw my thing there to Pastor Rosetti where I said, thanks for changing your mouthwash. (laughs) I have to explain that because it wasn't meant to be insulting. And Stephen thought of cutting it, and I should have let him do it. But... So we meet with Pastor Rosetti every Tuesday, um, and we would walk in the office, and occasionally the, the younger men and myself would say, it smells like medicine in here. It smells like my grandfather's bathroom. So smells like, and, and this past Tuesday, um, I finally said, John, I think it's your mouthwash, because John, John was using Listerine. Have you folks ever heard of Listerine? Um, yeah, it was developed in the 18th century for, for those who had really bad breath. Um, so we thought, oh, we'll bring John up to the 20th century. We didn't want to go 21st. So we thought, we'll tell him about flavored mouthwash that makes your breath not smell medicine-y. So that's what I meant. It wasn't meant to be insulting. So the <laughs> next, next time we came in, he was all proud of his new bottle of fla- uh, a scented mouthwash that was much better. So, so I appreciated that. So church, we're, uh, we're going to move on with the word of God this morning, and we're in our marriage series. This is the second part of the marriage series, and we're going to talk today about God's love. If God is love, then what am I? Now, another quick story, and I'm gonna to try to get an hour-long sermon in 59 minutes, so bear with me this morning. So um, John said, I'm gonna do a three-part series on marriage, and he said, John, you're pre- you're going to, I'm gonna do a marriage and then you're gonna preach in the middle, and then I'm gonna do a, the other sermon on marriage. What do you wanna do? And this is a true story. I said, John, I wanna do a message on the Antichrist. <laughs> And again, thanks for his wisdom and his grace, (laughs) he said, let's talk about that later. So I knew what that meant. So instead, we're gonna change gears and we're gonna talk about God's love, which fits very appropriately into the topic of marriage, right? So God's love, if God is love, then what am I? Why did I title it that way? Well, if God is love and God is at his very essence love and I am a part of God, and he is a part of me, then the question that I ask us, church, this morning is if God is love, then what am I? Am I love? Is that the essence of me? Is that what pours out of every part of my being? And the answer is no, to be honest. And I wrestle with this as you wrestle with this. If God is love and I'm to reflect that love, how well do I do at doing that? And when I put myself up to that measuring stick, sometimes I just have to shake my head and say I don't do very well And I have a long way to go. So I hope the message this morning will help us move forward in our endeavor to be a more loving person that reflects the essence of God, because God is love. And that's my goal this morning. How does this relate to marriage? Well, obviously, if you can understand more deeply, even an inch, the love of God, your marriage will be better you will be a better person. You will be a better representative of your Lord Jesus Christ. So let's start in 1 John 4 this morning if you have your Bibles with you. If not, I'm preaching out of the NASB 95. You'll see the scripture on the screen. But if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you if you have a physical Bible or one where you can make notes to maybe jot down a note or two as we go through this this morning because this is powerful stuff because it's God's word, not because it's my word. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, this is really, really an important concept to grasp, and as we struggle to do it, start out by the Greek structure of this first sentence is those of you who are already loved already in the process of having been loved and are being loved, let us, because of that, love one another. That's that's how John starts chapter four out. He says, because you are loved by an infinitely loving God, let us love one another. One another. So, what is our love of one another based on? It's the fact that we have already been loved and are in the process of being loved by God, for He is indeed love. So, Pastor John talked about the Trinity a little bit, and we were created in God's image. And, you know, we talk about that, and sometimes it's difficult to grasp the Trinity. Sometimes those who do not believe in our faith mock us because they say you believe in three gods. We don't, we believe in one God that is represented in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, yet all three are of the same substance. They are one, they are one entity in three persons. So when someone comes to you and says, how can that concept fit into your mind as something that's true and believable, I like to push back and say, God had to exist in multiple person presentations for this one reason. John chapter four, four, first John chapter four, verse one tells us that God is love. How does that prove the necessity of a trinity? Well, let me ask you folks, what do you have to have in order to express love? You have to have someone to express it to or express it with or to share it with. If God in eternity past had not created any creature in this world, would he still have been love? Yes, God has always existed as a God of love who was love and is love. Therefore, God had to eternally exist in a framework that allowed love to be expressed. Are you following me? So the Trinity absolutely makes perfect sense when we declare to the world that God is love. God then said, You know, I've created creatures. I've created animals. I've created angelic beings. I've created everything that I've chosen to create. But then he said, The peak of my creation will be this new creature, man. I will create man, and I will do so in our image. Intellect, will, emotion. Yes, that's the image of God, spirit but there's one other aspect. When God said he will create man in his image, the triune God's image, he no doubt meant that he would create man with the capacity to love with the love of God. Why was it not good for Adam to be alone, church? Well, because there was no one for him to create prodigy with. You know the word. I know, I had a Biden moment, forgive me. You know the word, you know the word. kids (laughs) yes but it was because he had no one to express love with because as god is love if creatures are created in his image like we were god wanted us to be like him with the capacity to express love so what kind of love was this what kind of love i cannot exhaust for you the kind of love that this was i can't do it because it's so deep it's so wide But let's just take a peek behind the veil of what kind of perfect love this was that was experienced in the Godhead and also experienced with Adam and Eve and between Adam and Eve in the garden. A perfect love can only be expressed in relationship, a relationship without any concept of harm or fear or rejection or punishment. It can only be expressed in a place of safety and complete acceptance, a place where there's a sense of being valued, of being cherished, of feeling completely adequate, a willingness to submit to one another without hesitation. That is the framework in which perfect love can be shared with another, and God created Adam and Eve to be receivers and givers of that perfect love to him and to each other. When God came to visit Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve were not ashamed and they were not afraid. When God came in the cool of the day to visit Adam and Eve and they were naked before him, they stood before him, feeling adequate, feeling fully accepted, feeling fully able to stand before a holy God in their nakedness, in the true expression of who they were. And they, when they heard him coming in the cool of the day, did they run and hide in the beginning? They looked forward to it for the expression of love that they shared with him, for the relationship that he wanted with them and wanted to have with them for eternity. It was a perfect love in a perfect setting. But what happened, church? know what happened, and I want to reiterate this. I want to make sure we know this. We've taught this in our marriage classes. You've had me tell it to you if you've ever been in marriage training or counseling with me. Something happened at the fall that Genesis tells us about that ruptured the perfect love that God had for you and I. Man sinned against him, and two things entered the world, two sins entered the world that ruptured the love that God wanted to share with us, And those two sins were fear and shame. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked before God and they were not ashamed. When they fell and they hid, what did they say? We were afraid of you and we hid ourselves because we realized we were naked. And the concept is that now we are ashamed. So when God came in the cool of the evening after the fall, there was fear that entered into the relationship. There was fear and trepidation that entered into the relationship that has no place in perfect love. Fear has many words to describe it in the Bible. The fear of God is a healthy thing. It's a good thing. That's not a sin. The fear that entered in at the fall was an unhealthy fear. It was an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous likely to cause pain or threat. That type of fear entered into relationship between a loving God and his people. Can you see that, church? The belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or threat. Did Adam and Eve have reason to feel God, fear God coming in the cool of the day after they had fallen? Yes, because he said they would surely die. He said they would be punished. He said there will be consequences for this fall. What about shame? Shame, shame is the unpleasant self-conscious emotion often associated with negative self-evaluation, motivation to quit, and feelings of humiliation. Adam and Eve could no longer stand before a holy God and feel adequate. They could no longer stand before a loving holy God and feel unashamed, church. And this was awful. So now we get into what has God done to reconcile this situation. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So let's back up a little bit here. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. What does that mean, manifested? By this, God's love was demonstrated in us. Something that God did demonstrated his love in us and the fact that it was manifested, laid out before us to see and to experience and accept. And I tell you, church, this is an important point And I've talked about this concept with several of you. Does God love the angels the same way he loves you? The answer is no. God does not love the angels the same way he loves you. Does God love the angels? God loves the angels. Does God love your dog? God loves your dog. But there's something different between us and the angels that was manifested in us there was a particular type of love that was manifested in us. Did Jesus Christ die for the angels? No. Can the angels repent of their sin and be part of the household of God and welcomed into his home? No, only we can. Of all the creatures of the universe, only you and I have the privilege of having this intimate type of love that God only holds available for a few, and that's humanity. Not for the angelic beings, not for the seraphim, not for the cherubim, not even for the archangels, because that love of Christ dying on the cross was not manifested in them. By this love, God has manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Why did he do that, church? What also is different than us and the angels? You know, They're called sons of God in the Bible. Do you know that? The angels are called sons of God, but they are the same types of sons of God as we are. No, no. We are part of God's family to the point that he has died and he has saved us and he will let us rule and reign with him. He will let us live in a room in his house. He lets us cry out to him, Abba, Father, He has adopted us as his children. He did not do that with the angelic beings. You are special in all creation. And you are loved more than anything, anything God has ever created or has come into his mind to create. If that does not have an impact, beloved, to cause you to love, then you don't know who you are. You are loved by an infinitely loving God who wants to live with you forever. He no longer wants to visit you in the cool of the day. He wants you to be in the room next door. He wants you to be sitting next to his son on the throne and these are incredible words to say but they're all in the Bible, they're all in the Bible. So how do we get there? How do we overcome this shame and fear? How do we get into the master's house? How do we get into this relationship that has been set beside for eternity just for us? How do we do it? We do it through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and no other way. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance... And the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What did Jesus Christ endure for you and me? The shame that we brought upon ourselves. Did he endure the fear that we brought upon ourselves, church? Was Jesus afraid? Well, John, you're getting into blasphemous territory by saying that the Christ may have been afraid. Remember the definition of fear I gave you. It wasn't an unhealthy, it wasn't a healthy fear of God. The fear that is described in the fall is the fear of a broken relationship. Adam and Eve hid themselves in the garden. It's not hard to leap to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus sweated blood for fear of the broken relationship that would eventually come just a short time later. As he hung on that cross and as God said, I am going to turn my back on my son and he is going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me whom you have loved from eternity past, the relationship was going to break and Jesus said, please, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he said, no, Father, your will, not mine. If you, Father, have longed for eternity to have a relationship with these people for whom I will die, I will take the cup of poison. I will drink it. I will drink the cup of your wrath. I will be hung on a tree in shame for the people who live in fear and shame. And I will overcome those sins for them. And I will let them once again be able to stand before you robed in your righteousness without fear and without shame that is the love of God church that is the love of God be loved those of you who are already loved out of knowledge of how you have been loved love others first John chapter 4 verse 15 we go on Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Church, I want to focus on verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Church, have you come to know this love? Are you experiencing this love? Are you so deeply grateful to your Lord for his sacrifice that you cannot help but forgive the sins of others because your sins have been washed clean? Have you come to know the price that was paid for you? Have you come to, in your mind, try to grasp even a little bit the cost of ripping apart the father and son so that the temple curtain could be ripped apart? Have you thought of the cost one ripping exchanged for another? And thank God he was able to do it, to live a sinless life and to wash us clean. Have you come to know that And have you come to believe it? Two different things. The demons know that Jesus died for us. The false prophets even know that Jesus died for us. Have you come to believe that he died for you? Well, John, of course I believe the facts. I don't care if you believe the facts. I do. I do care if you believe the facts. But have you taken hold of those facts and said, I trust him. I will live in his love no matter how painful or hard that may be in a fallen world, I will live in the love of Christ. You have, to take fact, you have to take hold of the facts and you have to believe them for them to be real in your life. There's no other way to show the love of God. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Now listen to this, church. Listen to this because as he is, so also are we in this world. So as he is, so also are we in this world. What on earth does that mean? What in heaven does that mean? As he is, how is Jesus now? Jesus is resurrected. He paid for our sin, and on the third day, church, he rose again and he was reconciled with the Father with whom he had that relationship in eternity past. And he stands before the Father, no longer hanging on a tree, no longer hanging there in shame, naked on the cross. No longer does the Father have to turn his back on the Son because there is reconciliation. All creation shouts for joy that Jesus was resurrected on the third day. And so should we, because our shame and our fear before the Father, before the Christ, before the Holy Spirit has been washed away and we can stand before him in robes of white, without stain, without blemish. And I know as well as you do that it's a sanctifying journey to get to the final stage of our blessed hope. I know that as well as you do, but I need to start living that life now. I need to start pouring out that love now. I need to start being appreciative of the love of God now so I can be prepared. So I can be prepared to say, thank you. I've done everything I could with what you've given me the power to do. Yes, I fell, but I appreciate it and I believed and I came to know more each day the depth of your love because church, we will never plumb the depths of his love. And don't think I'm standing here trying to tell you we can because we cannot. We don't know how deep the father's love is for us. We don't know, but we can get a little bit more knowledge each day as we interact with others and as we forgive them and love them and have patience with them and bear with their burdens and pour out the love of Christ on them, even though they don't deserve it. And that's so hard. It's so hard. We love because He first loved us, church. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. If you claim to love God, but you hate a brother or sister, you are a liar. Oh, how this convicts me. Oh, how this convicts me. There are people in my heart that I have hatred for. There are people in my heart that I have not forgiven. And no, there are people who haven't asked them for forgiveness, and I can forgive them, but still not have them forgive me. There are pains in my heart for my hardness. And I had to consider this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar, and don't get me wrong, we can have things against each other that are legitimate, but when it starts to burn with us and how we can get back at somebody or how we can hurt somebody for the hurts that they've given us, it becomes sin. It becomes sin when it becomes our retribution and not God's, does that make sense? I need the love even my brother who doesn't deserve an ounce of my love because I didn't deserve an ounce of his blood. I didn't. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I love that. You haven't seen God yet. You love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you would tell me that in a minute if I asked you to get up here. Yes, John, I love God with my heart, mind, and soul, but that brother or sister who gossiped about me I hate them. And God says it should be easier to love somebody you see than somebody you don't see, shouldn't it? If you have as much love for the God that you don't see visibly, you should love those who he created and who he loves. And he has given us this command. It's a command. It is a command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let me read that to you again. He has given us a command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister, must also love those who are surrounding you today in this church. Anyone who claims to love God and to know him and believe him must love those around them, even if they give you 39 lashes, even if they stick a crown of thorns on your head, even if they spit in your face. Turn the other cheek and let them spit on the other side. These are hard things. But we're getting towards the end here. And let me close with just a a few verses about love and marriage. And folks, if you're married here this morning and you don't know the love of God, you need to get saved. You need to know that life isn't about you. Life isn't about serving you. Life is about selflessness. It's about serving others. And that's the image of God, the ability to love in a relationship and to serve others. That is perfect love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered just because something you want it done isn't done. It keeps no record of wrongs. There's no lists, mentally or physically, of things that you've done that I'm going to keep bringing up to you day after day after day and make you feel like you are shamed and you are not worthy and you are disrespected and not loved. Love has no time for that. Love does not delight in evil. But rejoices with the truth, and what's the truth, church? That Jesus Christ died for you so that you could know love and you could love others. Love rejoices in that truth, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Wow, I look at the man we're honoring today. And I often tell him this, and I think he doesn't believe me. I say, John, I love you because you're so much more caring for people than I am. You go to people, and you want to protect them. You trust them in a good way, not a naive way. You hope for them, and you want the best for them. And you will persevere time and time again to bring them to the Lord. And I love that about you, and I thank you that you're teaching me that. Every time we talk. But God's teaching all of us that. That's the nature of love. But it says always, John, always trust. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. This Jesus thing isn't easy. It wasn't easy for him. Why should it be easy for us? Listen to this, church. We'll end on this, and then we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to depart. Last verse here. Let me just read this to you. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Oh, let him dwell, Lord. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Listen to this. Have power to do what? What? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the Father's love for us. And he says here the love of Christ. But we're gonna sing in a minute how deep the Father's love for us. And I want you to think of this verse. How wide, how long, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. He wants you to dig deep Every day he prays for us to plumb the depths, the wide, the width, the length of the love of God and understand it a little bit more each day so that our fullness might be complete, church. Church, as you plumb the depths of God's love and live out God's love, you will by nature have a better relationship with your Lord and King. Church, I worry about what's happening in our world today. People are pulling back from people. People are removing themselves from church and from social settings and social structures and saying, I'm okay alone in my room. That's not how God designed us. People are just saying it's too hard to deal with other people. It's a burden, not for the Christian. We're called to deal with other people. We're called to share each other's burdens. We're called to love. So I leave you with this church. As we stand this morning and sing how deep the Father's love for us, I want you to feel it. I want you to know it and I want you to believe it and I want you to feel it and I want you to leave here after this song expressing the love of God.